Lion Trust are the proud partner of The Athletics in the Boardroom podcast. Lion Trust have been an independent asset manager since 1995. Right now, they're giving you a chance to win a £1,000 shopping voucher to spend at John Lewis. All you need to do is visit liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic to find out more. Head towards your financial goals with Lion Trust. Now, this competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Jackie Oatley and welcome to the latest episode of In the Boardroom, a brand new podcast series from The Athletic. I've been speaking to influential people who operate at senior levels in football about their experiences of working in the game. In this episode, we're speaking to Preeti Shetty, a non-executive member of the board at Brentford. Preeti was one of two people hired by Brentford to join their board in a process that was open to all comers, a relatively rare thing in the world of football boardrooms. Preeti tells us about her career working to use the power of sport for good, whether that's in her work as CEO of data company Upshot or in her new role with Brentford. We also discussed what the process was like to become a director, how the first six months of life in the boardroom is treating her, including that magical opening day win over Arsenal, as well as much more. I started by asking Preeti about her career before Brentford came calling. I moved to London when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do, uh, as I think lots of young people at that point in time. Uh, And I went to university and I did a media and comms degree. And I think I sort of convinced myself that I wanted to work in TV production. And in my final year, an internship or like a work experience thing came up at BBC Sport. And I took it because it was the BBC, not because it was sport. But I happened to do this this really, for me, life-changing internship at BBC Sport. And it was a project that now we would call it football for development. But at the time, the terminology didn't exist. I think we called it an outreach project. But basically, it was using the power of football to engage young people that were not in education, employment or training, and just had this epiphany, this real moment of football changes people's lives, sport changes people's lives, and I never want to do anything else ever again. I did a whole bunch of other internships, and I worked with lots of football for good NGOs, And that sort of took me on this pathway of meeting this network of incredible people all using sport to tackle a social issue of some kind. Fast forward many years, I I sort of figured out that I wanted to delve further into this space. And so I did my master's and it was a a master's in sports management in the business of football. And I really started to to specialize, if you like, and, and, and started to look at measurement and impact and you know how we prove that that sport really does make a difference and I ended up writing my dissertation on really boring I'm the only person that's ever read it obviously (laughs) on measuring the impact of sport for development projects and as I did that the football foundation who I knew from back in my my BBC days they were building this tool called Upshot uh, which is effectively an impact measurement tool for the sport for development sector And so I ended up writing my dissertation on Upshot and a year later started working for the Football Foundation when when Upshot was really at its infancy. And that's what I did for the last eight years, ended up running Upshot within the Football Foundation. 
And now, so earlier this year, I took Upshot out of the Football Foundation and I've set it up as a social enterprise. And we now work with just over a thousand organizations, a range of different sports, all helping them collect data, measure their impact. And really going back to where I started, really proving that sport does have the power to change lives. Can you just put into context for us exactly how you feel that through measuring this data, that sport can change lives. Yeah, so you know, we're working on a really interesting project we have done for a few years with HMPPS, so the, the Prison and Probation Service. They use Upshot in their prisons to basically measure the impact that sport has on reoffending rates. What the data will give them is the evidence to prove that sport is having a positive impact on prisoners. It gives them leverage to invest more. And there's some really tangible data there that's saying if a young person or young woman who goes to prison for the first time, if she takes part in sport while she's in prison, the odds of her reoffending further down her life cycle dramatically reduce. We're seeing patterns, right? It's that kind of thing that says, well, you know what? The first time someone gets into trouble, how do we encourage them? And, and there's loads of nuances here. Which sport? Because it's not necessarily go to the gym and, you know, you won't reoffend again. Obviously, people's personal circumstances come into play as well. And we're seeing this really well with the prisons. When people are reoffending, it's giving the prison staff the data to say that's really interesting because the last time they were in prison, you know, they were really into rowing, for example. But for some reason, they're not engaging here. Why is that? Is something else happening? There's also data that, that's looking at self-harm rates and well-being and really starting to see if we're giving people opportunities in prisons to take part in sport, to build this network. So Parkrun is a really good example of this. In prisons, they now do Parkrun in lots of prisons around the UK. And what Parkrun is giving them is a community. And so when they get released, Parkrun is familiar. They've done it in prison. They can do it outside of prison. There's an automatic community. Their families can track their, their times. And suddenly it's giving them this support system that they didn't have before. We know this because they're now collecting this data, which is something that they weren't doing before. It's interesting to know how your background has then been taken to a Premier League football club as they are now in Brentford and how useful this is to them because you're not a traditional director with a traditional background, I think that's fair to say. You're a very modern director. So if you just tell us first of all, how did it come to be that you're now on the board at Brentford? Yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. I, I definitely don't think... I am a, a traditional director and, and I think that's that's probably a good thing. You think? <laughs> when I say I'm a director at, at Brentford, everybody assumes the community trust because that's really where my background lies. It's community sport, grassroots sport. I sit on a few other boards, but they're all, they're all grassroots organizations. The Brentford thing sort of just happened because they advertised it. And it, it, sounds, it sounds really silly to say, and first of all, I found that really fascinating. And, and I happened upon it because Monique Chowdhury, who's on our Brentford board, is also on the Women in Football board. And, you know, I, I do lots of work with women in football. And so she said, oh, yep, there's an advert. It's on the Internet. It's on our website. And she said, oh, people should go and look. And so I did. And I applied because I could. And that already is a change in itself. I, that doesn't come up often. You don't get the opportunity to just apply to be a director. At the time, they weren't a Premier League club. They were, they were still a championship club. But even that was rare. And so I applied because in the job description, you know, they talked about community and they talked about values and they talked about purpose. 
And these are all things that are really important to me. So for me, you know, I looked at this and I thought, well, I say all those things. And they didn't really put in loads of stringent restrictions around you have to have this experience or that experience. It was quite broad. And so I applied and went through a very, very tough interview process. I I think in the end, I met with 16 different people. With the time period, if it was strange, because I started the process in Feb, this interview process was was quite long and drawn out. And and our final interview was in June when when we already knew Brentford was promoted. And it was a, a really bizarre situation because when I applied for it, first of all, I never thought I'd get it. And it was just a thing I was doing because I could. And then to find out I did get it, they were a Premier League club. And, you know, it was a really crazy experience. But I think the beauty of it was it wasn't just me. They actually picked two of us. And that in itself has been really interesting because I think as, you know, as a woman, as a person of color, as a young person, this world is a little bit alien to me. I know a lot about football and I know a lot about, you know, sport, but I only know it at a grassroots level. And so I think if I had to go on this journey on my own, it would have been even more intimidating. But the fact that it's two of us, it's me and Deji, just means we have each other. We can hold each other's hands through it, really. And and we both bring very different skills to it. So yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating process. And what does your role involve? You're a non-executive director. So what does that mean exactly? At the end of the day, the, the role of a director is to act in the best interest of the company, right? So provide independent oversight, creative contribution, constructive challenge to our CEO and the executive. But in real terms, basically what that means is, you know, attending board meetings, providing strategic direction where needed, championing big projects that are Uh, important to the organization, leading on subcommittees on issues that are important to the board. So for example, I sit on the Equality, Diversity, Inclusion and Wellbeing Committee, ensuring that we keep inclusivity at the heart of everything we do, which is something that's really important to Brentford. And also because of my background, I work really closely with the Community Trust, supporting and championing their work and ensuring that we're aligned and work in a complementary way to each other, you know, the, the club and the trust. This is quite an unusual situation, I would think, for a football club. We sort of joked earlier about the traditional image of a football board director. How difficult was that process? I mean, you say you spoke to so many different people. Was it 16, you said? I mean, how many different interviews were there? And you presented your case, but what was their case to you about what they wanted for their club? This is such an important question. I was reading this thing the other day that says, you know, when you apply for a job, they ask you for three references. I feel like we should be asking employers for three happy employees because, you know, it, it, <laughs> it works both ways. And for me, the, the beauty of what, what happened with Brentford and this whole experience was as much as I was selling me, they were selling them and they were selling their vision for what this club could be. And it's such an interesting time for the club, even without the promotion, right? New stadium that opened in COVID. Everybody's gone through a lot and no fans in the stadiums. Like there was already a lot going on, but this is a club that genuinely decided they wanted more diversity of thought as well as everything else. They wanted to be more inclusive. They wanted to be more representative of their community. And the recognition that their community is changing. If you look at Hounslow and Ealing now, it's a very different demographic than it used to be. And they recognize that if they did really want to be representative, then that meant doing it at the top. It's not just about let's hire 
more diverse people. It's saying we need to think differently. If we say we want to be inclusive, then what does that look like? And it's about relinquishing some power, I guess, which is super rare, which is saying we're giving you a seat at the table, recognizing that you will want to make change. And I, I had this, you know, my last interview, and I'll never forget it. I thought it was really a brave and open thing for someone to say, our, our, our chair, Cliff Crown, I asked him, what are you worried about when it comes to, to new directors? Like, what are your concerns? And he said, you know, I'm worried that we'll sit around the board table and you'll ask me questions that I don't know the answer to and that I'll realize I've been doing a really bad job. And that's a good thing. And I found it really brave and really open of him to say that because the recognition wasn't just that you get a new director and they'll have some ideas. It's that we all have to change. This entire, the board and the business will need to change if we really do mean what we say. And for me, I found that really refreshing. When you first saw the advert, because it was on Sky Sports and Brentford made a big deal, they were advertising for a director, ended up taking two of you. But was there any part of you that thought, oh, this is a publicity stunt and they just want to be seen to be different and inclusive and diverse, but do they really mean it? Bearing in mind that there are organisations and people that perhaps may do that. I mean, let's be honest about that. 100%. And I think we've seen this with the advent of so many new head of EDI posts. There is a thing in people's minds where it's like, there you go, job done, tick. And I definitely did think that. And I thought, you know what, what makes this different and is there a risk? And I, I went through my, my sort of own personal journey through this, which is like, okay, and if I do get it, then what? What if I'm just sitting there? What if I have nothing to contribute? But equally, what if they're not listening? What if I'm just rolled out as, as the token Asian woman? That's not what I want. I thought all those things and, you know, I talked to loads of people and, and, and two things really came out. One Nobody has a bad word to say about Brentford. Like I, I talked to the sector really broadly. I talked to people I knew and everybody said they're a brilliant club. They're a brilliant community trust. They really are trying to do something different. And it was all overwhelmingly positive. And two, as I started to go through these interviews, you know, I, I asked some hard questions. I, I actually asked some of these questions. I said, is this just token? What happens if I say something and you don't like it? Well, at the end of the day, I'm one person will I really be able to change anything? But also questions around, are you putting money behind this? Because it's, you know, especially when we talk about EDI stuff, it's really easy to say, we want to be more inclusive. But do we really? And what does that mean? And are we putting budget behind it? And are we putting resource behind it? And I felt that the answers that I got and the openness and the humility, I think, with which they approached all of my questions really gave me confidence that this wasn't just another thing. And I'm very, very happy to say that sort of, you know, six months in definitely doesn't feel token. Like I'm really involved and listened to and challenged. The flip side of this is I have a day job. I, I'm running a, a, a startup. And so I, it feels like I'm juggling more than one job at the moment. But, you know, that's what I wanted. So when you say having done your research and spoken to people and it was all very positive about what Brentford were trying to do and then you effectively interviewed the directors and you realised it was all genuine... That initial cynicism, which was well-placed based on experience, I guess, where did that come from? And how much have you heard about other organisations, whether in football or elsewhere, where they do just want to tick a box, where they do want to say, hey, look at us, we're so diverse and inclusive, and you know for a fact they're not. I mean, is, is that genuinely the case in different places? I think it's changing. It's it's an interesting one, right? Like even just my my announcement 
the announcement was presumed to be the only South Asian woman on a Premier League board. The reason the word presumed was used is because the data isn't available. Unless you literally go to each and every club and you look and you do your own research, we don't need to publish this kind of data, which for me is a problem. More broadly in sport, yeah, I, I still think it's quite token, right? I think it's a responsibility thing. And I work with a lot of these organizations and I see their data, so I'm privy to how inclusive they actually are. I think there's a lot of good intentions, but I think we're still at a point in sport where people seem to think it's not their problem to fix. And so hire a woman or hire a person of color, hire a head of EDI or a director, and then that's your job done because it's then their job to fix this. I cannot do anything. It's not my problem to fix on my own, like racism or gender inequality. If it was that simple, we would have all done it before. I think it's changing. I think organizations are recognizing that inclusion isn't just one thing that you do or an initiative or funding something. It, it has. We have to look holistically at this and say, do we want to be better as organizations? Well, better means more diverse people, more representative people. And how do we do that? Because, you know, the argument I hear the most often is we've tried. We've tried to hire women. What we've tried to, well, that's not good enough. We've tried isn't good enough. And I work in, in, in sport and in tech. So they're both quite male dominated and they're both quite white. And so I see it, right, as an employer, the applications that are coming in, I, I'm not seeing as many applications from women or people of color. But what I'm doing is being proactive. So I'm going to speak at universities. I'm going to talk to, to young people and say, this is a career. It is available to you. Here's, here's the steps that you take to get there. I want to employ you. And I, I think we, you know, nobody wants to do that kind of work. So it's easier just to go, here's a job. We've done our bit. And if anybody questions us, because I do think this is outwardly, right? If you saw the, you know, the FA's report that they put out the other day, no clubs are in a great place. But at least we're holding ourselves to account now. And I think with Brentford, that was the statement. We're not perfect. And just because you have, a, you know, a black man and an Asian woman on your board doesn't mean the job is done. But we will hold ourselves to account and be public and transparent about all of the things that we're doing to get there. And just to clarify, when you say EDI, you mean equality, diversity and inclusion? Equality, diversity, yes. So that was the process of you getting into Brentford. Now you're there. What sort of tangible impacts do you think you're having on the club? I went into this and I'm like, I'm going to make real change. You know, this is, this is why I'm doing it and I hope I will. But I also, I'm seeing some like, just some smaller things that have just happened naturally, organically as a byproduct of me being there. And funnily enough, those are the things that have made me really proud. So for example, you know, there's little girls outside the stadium that like run up to me and say, I saw you on TV, or what's it like to be a director? You know, there's catering staff that work at the club that are asking me questions on like, so what is the role? And so what do you really do? And do you get paid? And how does this work? It's representation, right? And suddenly people are seeing me and they're asking questions about this role that they probably never even thought was a thing or wasn't a thing for them. So I, I think on one level, and you know, it's really sweet. Like sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, outside the stadium and fans will just run up to me, especially the first few months and just kind of interrupt and say, hey, I just want to say welcome to the club. Like just really sweet things like that. And I think on one end, it's that, right? It's that, you know, I'm, I'm this Asian woman that isn't from Brentford, that they didn't know before this, but they want to make me feel welcome. And I'm not saying it's all good, right? There's, you know, there's obviously like 
stuff on Twitter and there's al- there's always going to be somebody that doesn't think you're good enough and that's what stuff on Twitter what resistance have you had I, to be honest very very little from a fan perspective I have I've had stuff obviously around being a woman or my name people making fun of my name and stuff like that right it's not the first time I've heard it I've, I've worked in sport a long time and comparatively it's been much less than I expected it to be but it's still a bit jarring like I'm just a normal person right like I think before this I had like a hundred followers on Twitter so for me this like influx of people that are suddenly and they tag me in things right they tag me in things that they want me to hear about and it's not just me obviously but you know other directors too and it's interesting because they feel like i have some power and they they want to be heard and sometimes it's about things that i genuinely can do nothing about right it's like you know i'm complaining because my sandwich was cold or you know things like that but for the most part it's been really positive and it's been really i think especially the like our fans are amazing at brentford but our our supporters groups like the the lgbt's and the women's groups i've had a really overwhelmingly positive welcome even though i think there is a bit of nobody really knows what directors do so there's a little bit of we're not really sure what you do but you you know you're plastered all over this thing so you must have some power in the boardroom is partnered by lion trust an independent asset manager that invests in a positive future lion trust's sustainable investment team seeks companies that help create a cleaner safer and healthier society empowering and inspiring the wider community and seeks to generate attractive returns for investors right now lion trust wants to give you a chance to win a thousand pound shopping voucher to spend at john lewis just head to liontrust.co.uk forward slash the athletic answer the question and you could win. Now this competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. Find out more at lionstrust.co.uk/theathletic. What you're talking about makes complete sense and it sounds wonderful and it sounds like you're making really positive difference for Brentford. Can you just be a bit more specific about what you're actually doing. So are you having one Zoom meeting per month, for example, and what sort of conversations are going on in that time? And are you talking about equality and, and inclusivity and diversity all the time in that meeting? Or are you talking about the club as a whole in those meetings and how often do you go in? All those kind of details I'm fascinated by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you mentioned that people don't really know what directors do and we don't really. We picture you sitting around the boardroom and and having sort of slightly soggy sandwiches at at matches depending where you are. But but yeah, just interested to know what it literally means and what you actually physically do. So we have a board meeting every two months and at the board meeting we talk about everything, right? So we talk about what's happening on the football side, what's happening on the business side. We, you know, have some standing items, uh, updates from our CEO, any big projects that are going on future long term thinking any big strategic decisions right and that's very much a every two months and and each board meeting will you know may have a specific focus and so you know there may be an EDI specific focus at one of them where we delve a little bit deeper but actually we are covering all aspects of the business including what's happening on the football side they tend to be discussions and updates right because at the end of the day we have a very capable ceo and a very capable exec that know what they're doing we have two brilliant co-directors of football that you know manage the football side perfectly and so unless they need us unless something's going wrong you know that tends to be 
here's what's happening and here are things, decisions we want to make or things we want to discuss. Outside of the board meetings, we then have these subcommittees. And so that we, we have a specific one on equality, diversity, inclusion, and well-being. And so we will meet, and that's, you know, a smaller group of directors and sometimes including the exec, right? So, you know, our head of EDI at the club will join those meetings sometimes. People from the trust could join those meetings sometimes. And that's a smaller group for a few hours taking a specific bit and saying, okay, what do we want to focus on for the next six months? How are we going to do that? What money is needed? Is there an initiative that we need to look at? Is there something going on with our staff we need to talk about? And so those tend to be much more focused And then we've got, so each of us champions bigger projects that's happening within the business as well. And so I will do Zoom calls or or often in person as well. I am actually at the club a lot with our marketing team or with our digital guys because of my background, right? So for, for me, because of my data and digital background, I tend to lean towards doing more stuff with those teams around new tech or, you know, areas that we're looking at to improve in terms of data and digital. With Deji, because of his background, he's looking at things like risk in a bit more detail, right? So he will do meetings with finance and with our with our chairman and look at things like our risk register and stuff like that. Sorry, what's a risk register? So a risk register is a document that says here are all the things that could go wrong, big and small. Do you want relegation or, or what does that mean? Yeah, like relegation or our senior staff leave. Our owner decides he doesn't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so it could be big things like that, but equally it could be operational things, right? Our ticketing system breaks, the toilets get flooded. Basically, you write them down and you give them priority. So you say, how likely is this to happen and what would the impact be? And so we're constantly managing the risk, right? If we overspend in this area, what could the impact be? And it's an ever moving thing because obviously, and for us, especially if first season in the Premier League, there are risks that we didn't even think about, right? There's new things that are coming up. There's governance stuff. So now we, you know, we are responsible to the Premier League for their governance codes and their governance guidelines. So it's always making sure that, and, and this is really the, the important, I think anyway, the important stuff directors do. At the end of the day, if something went wrong, it's on us. Legally, it's on us. And so we need to make sure that, that we're protecting our staff and our exec, but also we're thinking ahead to what happens in worst case scenario. Do we have a plan B? Interesting stuff. And do you go to many of the games? Yeah, so uh, all the games, home and away, except for when I'm away. So I think the only ones I haven't been to, and, and all of us go to all of them, really. And that's been really fascinating, too, right? Again, I had no idea what this was like. And it's really interesting because you go two hours early and you have a, a three-course meal with the away directors. And again, this is something that, that Brentford does differently. I think Norwich and Brentford are the only two clubs that do it. But all of the other clubs, when you go to their director's box, so when we do away games, your away directors sit together and the home directors sit together. At Brentford, we mix them up. And that's also really interesting because it, you know, it makes for a much more fascinating conversation. For me, it's an extremely welcoming thing. Our, our, our chairman is, is wonderfully welcoming and you feel like you're part of something. And so you have a meal with, with the away directors and then you go watch the game. And, and that in itself was new to me. It's full of sort of etiquette, right? There's like a formality to it. It's a fascinating experience, but it's also made me realize. And I think I had this picture of like how business gets done in director's boxes, you know, in boardrooms. And I think for me, the realization that they're all just normal people who care about their club. And of course, they're influential and there's power there. And, and I'm, you know, business does get done there. 
actually match days are very much a thing of passion and it's a chance to to welcome somebody else into your club and win or lose because at the end you go in at halftime and we have some pies and then at the end of the game you know you, you all come in and you have tea or coffee or a drink together and it's like a mini community and that was surprising to me because i thought it would just i thought it would be really formal and uncomfortable and there is some formality to it but actually it's a it's like a dance in a weird way it does seem a little surprising if if so many clubs do sit with their own people on a table and maybe don't take the opportunity to swap notes right because you're yeah, yeah. supposedly pulling in the same direction and <laughs> and every saturday sunday whenever it might be is an opportunity to talk to other directors about what they're doing and what experience they're having with how they're dealing with the Premier League or the FA or or other clubs or agents and what have you. Are you surprised more of that doesn't go on? It depends on the club, right? But like from my very early experience of it, the clubs in the Premier League are very good at speaking to each other and they do it outside of games, right? And so if, and I know like for us, not just at board level, but also at CEO level, like the, the Premier League brings them all together often. There are meetings that that happen where you can easily have those conversations. You could just pick up the phone and talk about it. You know, I, I think a lot of that does go on, but for some reason, yeah, you're right. And has surprised me at games. It tends to be we sit with ours and and you sit with yours. Don't get me wrong, they're extremely welcoming. So, you know, the the chair will always come over and say hello and, you know, introduce themselves to everybody. And and it's all very nice. But yeah, I I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. And I I think with Brentford and with Norwich, uh, who also do it, it's just such a great chance to have a conversation with effectively your counterpart. And it may not be, you know, obviously because, you know, partners or children are, are sometimes in the room. It's not necessarily a, how did you make that decision? What do you think about this decision? But I think it's just a chance to get to know each other on a human level. And that surely is better for business. Can you give us a bit more, a few more examples perhaps of experiences you've had? I know this is your first season doing it, but of meeting other people in boardrooms, have they been universally friendly and warm? Or have you sometimes felt like a bit of an outsider or very much the away director. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you say, it's it's early days and we haven't been to all the clubs yet. And, you know, and, and this is the, the fun bit of the job, right? Like this is the bit where it's like, this is what, what every football fan is dying to do. And I recognize how privileged I am that I'm getting to experience this. I think for us as a club, it's also, there's like ideas we're taking from it. You know, it's like, oh, we should do that. Well, that's really interesting. What about, you know, and sometimes it's small things. So like, you know, at halftime, we were saying we should have a bell to say, okay, the second half is starting. Because with all the mingling and the talking, people sometimes miss it. And then you have to do this like, oh, you know, herding, herding everybody out. You have to do this, come on, come on, the game started thing. And so sometimes it's small things like that. And, you know, we go to other clubs and we see how well they do something. And so, you know, it's small things like West Ham had these like really lovely blankets because it was quite cold and you know they had West Ham blankets for their directors and they had non-branded ones for us which I thought was it's a nice thought because you wouldn't want a West Ham blanket and so (laughs) you know it's these little things it's little gestures like that that have been for me they're quite peculiar so the Liverpool game when Liverpool came to us I was sitting next to the the Liverpool CEO who was just really wonderful and at halftime, you know, loads of people wanted to talk to him and we, we talked about the pies and he didn't get a chance to to, to grab one of the, the little Brentford pies at halftime. And so at the end of the game, I thought I was doing like a really nice thing. And so I, you know, I, I said to our, our catering team, oh, it would be really nice if we could just have a couple of pies, you know, in like a takeaway box so I could give it to him. 
I don't know if they misunderstood or we didn't have nice takeaway boxes, but they ended up putting it in some like Tupperware and foil. And so I sat there thinking, am I going to give the Liverpool CEO some Tupperware <laughs> with my pies? Like this is, but I was too far gone. I had it in my hand already and he was looking at me. So I gave it to him and bless him. He was like, thank you so much. This is so kind. And he put it under his arm and he walked out of the boardroom with it. And I just thought it's crazy, but this is also a very normal human thing. Like I was trying, you know, I was doing a nice thing and it's all new for me. So yeah, I, I think there's been a few moments like that where I, I, I stop and think, what a bizarre situation this is. Yeah, did he post the Tupperware box back or, or have you lost it forever? I've lost it forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the blankets, which are, it's a great idea and, and I'm all for, by the way, because I get freezing at matches. But uh, I remember at uh, Loftus Road QPR a few years ago when Gianni Palladini was the, the chairman there and Naomi Campbell would be invited into the director's <laughs> yeah. box. So there were these like superstars and it was seen as a boutique club at the time. I'm not sure how the fans felt about that. And they had these <laughs> glorious, big, luxurious blankets. What's been the best atmosphere at a club that you've been to so far? I'm guessing you're going to say at Brentford, but home and away perhaps? Brentford is, it's amazing. Obviously, we would say that and I do think it's amazing. But also, I think just the the fact that it's a new stadium and that fans are finding their feet and, you know, season ticket holders who, who've been going their whole lives now have a different seat in a different place with a different view. That all adds to this. And obviously, you know, we, I think the excitement of the Premier League, it all adds to this atmosphere that we we have at the stadium. And, you know, I, I've taken non-Brentford fans to games and, and they all feel this, you know, feel the same. There's just there's something electric ab- about it. And there's like a sense of togetherness that everybody feels when you're in there. And it's it's really a wonderful thing. So yeah, I mean, obviously I would say, I would say Brentford. Away games, it's an interesting one because it's sort of, and again, this has been strange for me because it sort of depends on where the box is, right? Because like in, in some stadiums, you know, like ours, you're, you're sort of in the middle of it and in the thick of it with everybody. And with some, you're much further away. And that has a, a role to play. I think it also depends on how we're doing, because I know like West Ham, it was a great experience, but also the win has put like a shine on it for me that, you know, Burnley didn't. And that that's not to do with, with Burnley's atmosphere. It's to do with how badly we were beaten, right? And so, you know, I, I think there's always that. I mean, I feel like I feel like you should ask me this at the end of the season so I can fairly compare, but but there's definitely a few I'm really looking forward to. Like Brighton, I think, will have really great atmosphere and we're in Southampton in a couple of weeks, which should be good, and Leeds that I've heard good things about. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. Jensen over the set piece. Clips it in towards the back post and it's beaten away by Fabianski, but Brentford have won it. Deep, deep, deep into stoppage time. And it's Johan Visser off the bench again. Wild scenes of celebration. And Brentford go from strength to strength in the Premier League. And what about that opening match of the season at home to Arsenal, which was standalone on a Friday night, all eyes were on Brentford. They'd just been promoted via the playoffs into the Premier League at last. And it looked an incredible night on the television. What was it like being there? Both the noise of the stadium, the Hey Jude beforehand, but also behind the scenes in the director's box. What was all of that like? It was just the most extraordinary experience and the most extraordinary night. Like, I don't think we could have written it better, right? Like everything, you know, regardless of the result, which was obviously the icing on the cake, I think just the joy of 
being back and the joy of being in the Premier League and the joy of being that opening fixture, you know, there was so much pride. It was impossible to not feel it as you were walking in, as you were standing around, as you know, the Hey Jude, which was just moving. I can't think of a better word. I think in the boardroom, again, my first experience of, of like a full boardroom, um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. And it was it was interesting. And again, mixing directors. So, you know, I was sat next to Pat Rice, which for me was insane. <laughs> like yeah. it was, you know, that th- th- this is the position I was in was crazy for me. Why well, are you an you Arsenal know, they, fan, sneakily? I, I'm not. No, no, I'm not, but my partner is. And I told him he ah. wasn't allowed to come because I wasn't going to take a white male Arsenal fan to my first ever game. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether you're an Arsenal fan or not, he's a legend, right? Yeah. And so, you know, for me already, that was that was crazy. You know, everyone was really lovely and welcoming. And pre-game, there was this sense of excitement, but also it was the first game of the season. And so we had Richard Masters, the CEO of the Premier League, and Garrett Southgate in our boardroom. And so that was even more exciting. And there was, you know, and you could sense it. There was this just this anticipation, this excitement. And I think for us, we were like, whatever happens, this is one of the most amazing days of our lives. And then at halftime, there was a bit of, and you know, it's, it's normal. It's a little bit more muted in the boardroom, obviously not in our end. But there was still a sense of, oh, you know, this is just a great game. And if nothing else, you know, we'll see how the second half goes. It's a great game. It's a great game. Um, I had I had a really interesting conversation with um with one of the other directors at Arsenal who's you know and the, the word he used was romantic he said you know this this boardroom this stadium tonight it's all very romantic and and I thought it was a great use of that word because it really was that's what it felt like a bit like a fairy tale and and you know they were very gracious in their defeat even when they left Everybody was like, well, that was still a wonderful evening and and a wonderful experience. And I think that's what we want to keep throughout this. You know, at the end of the day, Brentford started really well. That's, you know, as we know, that's that's not always going to be the case. And, you know, it's it's been difficult the last few games. But I think we want to keep that humility and that we just want to give you a good experience. The fans, the players, the directors and the staff is you don't feel you had a wasted journey. You still had a great time. And we're all in this together and we'll see. And, and that's what Pat Rice said when he left. He's, you know, he said, I'll see you at the Emirates. And I was like, yeah, you will. And this is, you know, obviously we were on a massive high, but I think it's that. It's that that sense of sort of camaraderie a little bit, whether you win or lose. Here comes Canos. Oh! Brentford are off and running. Sergi Canos. Canos can for sure. In the Premier League. See in the middle. Oh! It's turned over the line by Norgard. There was a real battle for the ball as it was hurled in. And that practice on the long throw yesterday. Thomas Frank perhaps knew what he was doing against this Arsenal team. This is all very Brentford are great and they're being really inclusive and everything's going really well and they've got a great new stadium. What happens if you hit a bump in the road? What happens if you get relegated? Are you planning ahead and thinking ahead about how that situation will have to be managed with the fans? Because, of course, the goodwill towards you, towards the club, won't be quite so positive then. Or may not be. No, you're right. It may not be, right? And, you know, it's really easy to do this when things are going well. Because whether people like it or not, you know, as I said, there's like a shine on it at the moment. So you're right. It's super simple when things are going well. 
our thinking with this is, you know, we want to make lots of good decisions, big and small, thinking ahead, right? Anything that we choose to do now, and, and we have this in the back of our heads, would we still want to do it if we were a championship club? The answer has to be yes, right? Because otherwise there's no point of us doing this because it is a possibility and, you know, we'd be silly not to think about it. You know, the stuff we've been talking about here, the things that we're trying to do with, with engaging our community, we'd want to do that anyway. And the club wanted to do it, you know, was already on this journey last year. And so we might have accelerated because we're promoted to the Premier League a little bit. But actually our purpose, that hasn't changed and that isn't going anywhere. And so we feel this is... It's quite safe, right? You know, you'll always get fans that will lose fans, right? Because obviously, you know, we, we gained a whole load of fans because we're in the Premier League and people that didn't have any, you know, there's a lot of talk of like everyone's second club and that kind of thing. We may lose that, but it's our local community we're focused on anyway, and, and they're not going anywhere. So I think as long as we stay true to that, we should be okay. And what sort of feedback have you had from the supporters? You said that sort of as you've walked in, fans have talked to you and, and that's great. But generally speaking about what the club's trying to do and being more inclusive and interactive with the community, how have they taken that? And what sort of things do they say to you? So again, Brentford's really unique in that our fans have, a, our, our supporters trust has a golden share. And what that basically means, and I think there's only three clubs in the country, but Wickham is one of them, that have this. And basically what that means is, the supporters trust is a shareholder, has a share in the business. It gives them two things, a seat on the board. So the chairman of the supporters trust, in our case, the chairman of the supporters trust is called Stuart Purvis. And so Stuart sits on our board and it gives them a veto for certain decisions, right? So legally, the fans have a voice. They have a seat on the table through Stuart. It's a really unique thing. And it immediately means that, and good and bad, right? Because it means that we're hearing very vocally what the fans want and what they don't want. And you know, it doesn't mean we can always do what they want, but they have power. They have actual power on the board exactly like me. Actually, even more than me because I'm non-exec. And so firstly, there's that. I think secondly, because of that relationship and because of the relationship that, that the fans have always had with the club, they communicate really well and really loudly about things they like and things they don't like. I think the inclusivity stuff, and this is really important generally in, in, in the field of EDI, inclusion doesn't mean we're saying not you. We're saying and you. And I think this is something that sometimes people don't get. And I think, you know, with Brentford, I'm, I'm always conscious of how I speak. We're not saying, hey, current fans and current demographic, we don't want you anymore. We want more diverse people. We're saying we want to keep you and make sure you're happy and have more diverse people. And this is a crucial thing. And I think our fans get that. And because they get that and because this is not a push to alienate anybody, at least the feedback we're getting is it is positive. Now, obviously, fans are fans, right? And I'm a fan. And so sometimes this, you know, you're playing badly or when something goes wrong with your tickets or when you know you have a bad experience you immediately go back to why don't you focus on the things that are important to me and what we're saying is this is really important to us and we will we will strive to be really good at everything we do including this and including you and for some people that might be hard to understand but for us it's our north star right and I think our fans get that and our fans are really supportive of it. Pretty Shetty, thank you so much for joining us on In the Boardroom. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks 
to Preeti for speaking to us and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed that and you'd like to hear more insights from those operating at senior levels in football, including Arsenal's head of women's football, Claire Wheatley, then do subscribe to the In the Boardroom podcast feed. Plus, if your podcast app gives you the option, then you might like to leave us a nice review. That's entirely up to you, of course. In the Boardroom from The Athletic is presented by me, Jackie Oatley, and is produced by Steve Hankey. The Athletic. Lion Trust are giving you the chance to win a £1,000 shopping voucher to spend at John Lewis. All you need to do is visit liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic and answer the question. This competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. That's liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic.